Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode 18, which is brought to you by Text Expander from Smile. My name is Ryan Christofel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vitici. How are you doing today, Federico? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? Doing great. You know, the, the iPad has been a subject of a lot of discussion lately. Uh, I feel like we're kind of coming to the game a little late since we only do the show every couple of weeks. There's There's been a, a lot going on in the Apple world, a lot of discussion related to the iPad. What, what mm. has that all been about? Well, um, it's sort of like a cycle when you think about it. It's th- this kind of topic about the like the role of the iPad in the Apple ecosystem and whether the iPad and especially the iPad Pro can compete with the Mac and macOS tends to be the kind of story that um, comes around every few months and people start talking about it. But this time it was kind of special in that um, the it was the anniversary of the iPad introduction. So uh, January 27th, uh, 2020 uh, marked 10 years since the introductory keynote where Steve Jobs introduced the very first iPad in 2010. And we had a special article on Mac Stories, but we're actually planning uh, something else for April, which is the actual release date of the iPad. But in any case, um, a bunch of people started talking uh, about you know the first decade of the iPad, and there was the you know the usual discussion about uh, the role of the iPad and whether the iPad is good enough to be a laptop a laptop replacement. Um, it, it surfaced again, but this time with the added context of it's been ten years of iPad. Where do things stand today? And specifically, I think uh, the, conclu- the the discussion this time focused on the role of multitasking and multi-window uh, in the modern iPad OS and the latest iPad Pros. Uh, John Gruber had a story on their in Fireball and a bunch of links on their in Fireball, and people replied to John Gruber. And we've we've seen some interesting concepts on Twitter uh, for you know from people that try to imagine a better version of iPad multitasking, and so we thought. You actually had this idea of your own personal uh, idea of how multitasking on iPad could be improved, could be reimagined um, to address the concerns that most people who do not like the current system of multitasking based on drag and drop, um, you had this idea of how you could potentially address those issues. And so we thought, why don't we talk about it? Why don't we go over the common concerns and criticisms uh, surrounding multitasking on the iPad? Why don't we talk about Ryan's idea? Um, it's and it, it, right. It, it's a long topic. It's a complicated topic. It's a complex topic because uh, whenever this is something that I really wanted to say up front. Whenever we talk about how we would improve features or how we would redesign features or Whenever we we share concepts, right, we don't have the same constraints that designers and developers at Apple do. Uh, We don't actually write software. We don't actually have statistics about how people use iPads, how people use multitasking. We don't have any limitations whatsoever. We can just imagine things. And yes, we can try to think about potential uh, downsides, potential limitations, but that's just it. We're just iPad users trying to imagine what a feature will look like. We don't actually have to write the feature itself. We don't actually have to write the software. So, um, of course, take all of this with a 
relatively big grain of salt because we don't work at Apple. We're not engineers. But that said, I think Ryan has a really good idea. Um, and also, I want to state this up front. I personally do not believe that the current uh, multitasking system is a, is a huge mistake, is a catastrophe, is terrible. It's made the iPad unusable. I do not want to go back to the, you know, some people say the good old days of the iPad when you could only use one app at a time and the app was always in full screen and split view did not exist. I am not a nostalgic for those days. I want to keep using my iPad Pro as a multitasking machine, as an actual computer. That said, I do believe there's always room for improvement. And I do think that the current system, which is largely based on dragging app icons around, I think it can be improved. I do not think it should be completely removed. It could be tweaked and it could be redesigned. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, How's that sound, Ryan? Yeah, sounds good. I've honestly really enjoyed lots of the discussion online and just hearing different people's thoughts about the mm-hmm. iPad and multitasking specifically, because it is a system that you and I use every day. We have used it for years. And I would say generally, and I'm speaking for both of us here, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it generally works for both of us. Oh, yeah. But that said, I think we recognize that it doesn't necessarily work for as many people as it should. Uh, the iPad is great at, at being really accessible as a device. And when you get into using multitasking, that accessibility level changes a little bit. It, there's a big learning curve. And so you know, as I've been kind of reading articles and listening to podcasts and all these discussions related to the iPad and its multitasking system, like it has... The current system has been working for me, but I've just thought about, you know, what what would a potentially better way forward be? And so, yeah, we're going to talk about that. So I guess we'll dive right in. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that I really appreciate about the current system is that it enables a lot of functionality. I like having, just as you said, I like having multiple apps on screen. I like the split view idea, uh, having slide over. I like multi-window. I think all of that's great. And what's not a great about it is that it's it just has a big learning curve. It There's a lot to learn. There's a lot that doesn't necessarily make sense or isn't very intuitive. You really have to learn it. And most iPad users probably will never do that if it stays as complicated as it is now. So as I've been thinking about this, one kind of guiding thought for me in trying to imagine a new system is that I think the primary appeal of the iPad since its birth 10 years ago has been that it is so similar to the iPhone. Uh, That's kind of how Steve Jobs presented it on stage back 10 years ago. And I think ever since then, that has what has made it really um, an approachable device for so many people Mm. is that If you know how to use an iPhone, then you also know how to use an iPad, by and large. And that's been true for a long time. And where it's become less true in recent years is specifically around multitasking. And so, you know, if you want to learn the multitasking system of the iPad, there's nothing really that you can do on the iPhone that helps you with that. It's just a brand new thing. And so 
I think that there is a way forward where Apple can kind of bring those two devices back closer together without losing the additional power and functionality that the iPad currently offers. And so what I propose and what I've been thinking about uh, involves getting rid of the current drag-and-drop-centered multitasking system. I don't think we should get rid of drag-and-drop, period. I think drag-and-drop for content inside of apps is extremely valuable. Uh, I think that that works really well. But what seems to be the main point of frustration for people and confusion for lots of iPad users is using drag-and-drop for multitasking, which, as you explained, involves dragging app icons out of the dock or off your Mm -hmm. home screen or out of search and kind of moving them around to different parts of the screen and then dropping them to hopefully have them do what you want them to do. There's, I'm not going to get into all the reasons why the system isn't the most intuitive or why it, you know, kind of doesn't work as well with some other gestures in the system, such as, you know, rearranging apps. You know, you also do that with drag and drop. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get into all that. Um, you referenced uh, John Gruber's article. I'm going to link that in the show notes. He he kind of goes into detail about why he thinks that system is is broken. And I wouldn't use the word broken myself because it works really well for me. But I do understand that it's problematic. So what I think could be a better way forward is getting rid of that system and going all in on context menus as the way to engage and control multitasking. So context menus are those little menus that appear whenever you long press on an app icon. And this works both on iPhone and iPad right now. If Mm -hmm. you, whether you're in your dock, whether you're in your home screen, wherever you are, even in search, if you long press on an app icon, then a context menu appears. It's this little contextual menu that has various actions in it. Uh, depending on what device you're using or depending on the apps and kind of the the actions that they've added to those menus, you may see some different options, but you know, one of the common options that's system-wide is uh, share app. So that one was added a couple years ago where you, you know, just very quickly can share the current app, whatever that may be, using the share sheet. On the iPad, you will see for apps that support multi-window, there is a show all windows button that shows up in that mm-hmm. context menu. Uh, last year, Apple added a rearrange apps button, which essentially just enters your home screen into, you know, whatever you call it, jiggle mode, where all the apps are, you know, shaking and you can move them around easily. So there's, there's these options that are already there. There's app specific options that are there for the apps that have added those. And I think that it would be relatively simple to just take that existing UI mechanic of context menus and add a couple more options to those menus that have to do with multitasking. So what I have in mind is you would still have the same basic concepts of split view and slide over, but you would kind of control those things and add apps to those different setups via a context menu. So in a context menu, you long press on an app icon and you would see a couple new buttons. Uh, One of them would say open in slide over. And that app right there, the one that you long pressed on and that you hit this button, 
it would be opened in a slide over window. Pretty simple. Um, and then for split view, you could do something like open in split view, but I think it might be better to phrase it something like pair with and then an app's name. So the reason I say that is you might have, you know, a single app on screen right now. Right. Um, and if you did, then just saying open in split view on the second app would be pretty easy. You could just open in split view and it would go next to the app that's on screen. But what if you have two apps on screen? Or what if you are on your home screen and so you don't actually see what the, the last used app is? How do you right. know what it's going to be paired with? And so I think saying pair with and then an app's name would be a lot more specific, a lot more clear on what's going to happen when you hit that button. So if you had Safari on screen and then you, you know, pulled up your dock and there's reminders, you long press on reminders and then in the context menu, you see an option pair with Safari. Well, that's pretty clear, I think, as to what's going to happen when you do that. Um, and what Apple could do, and there's, there's kind of some precedent for this on the Mac, but they could have... Uh, if you have a couple of different apps on screen. So let's say I already have a split view with Safari and Mail, but now I want to put reminders in one of those slots. Well, you could have a couple different buttons. You could say replace Safari. You could say replace Mail. Um, you could kind of do it a couple different ways. You could have buttons that control whether the app is going to go on the left or the right. So if you just had one app on screen and it's Safari and you want to put mail to the right of Safari or to the left of Safari, maybe the context menu offers a couple different options. Uh, currently on the Mac, if you long click on the little green icon, the little full screen icon in the top left corner of a window, then you will see options for tile window to the left of the screen or tile window to the right of the screen. Mm -hmm. so it's kind of something that already exists. You could bring that functionality over to the iPad. And like I said, this would work no matter where you are in the system. One of the faults of the current multitasking system is that it works pretty well when the app you want in split view, for example, is in your dock already, but it's a little more confusing when you want to get an app from your home screen into split view. But this system would kind of work the same way where if you long press on an app, icon on your home screen, then it would show in that pair with, and then the app's name, it would show the app names for whatever the last used space that you had on screen was. So if your last space was just a full screen Safari window, then you would see in that new context menu pair with Safari. And you would know, okay, I, as soon as I do this, it's going to pair it with Safari. If the last used space was a split view, it had two apps in it. It had Safari and Mail. Well, again, same thing. Just like when the new you know, app that you're trying to get in a split view was in the dock, even if it's on the home screen, you would still see pair with Safari or pair with Mail because those apps were in the last used space. And so there would have to be a little bit of kind of dynamic ways that these buttons worked based on the apps that you currently have on screen or the apps that you last used on screen if you're doing it from the home screen but i think the context menu 
because it's something that already exists on iPhone and iPad. It's something that um, already has a variety of options in it. If you just put a couple more options and those options make very clear what's going to happen when you use them, then you kind of solve the issue of, you know, learning this whole new system if you're an iPhone user, learning this whole new system that you're not used to because hopefully, and not everyone is, but if you're already used to using context menus on the iPhone, then on the iPad, it works just the same way, except now you see a couple new options. And there's already a little bit of precedent for this in that currently in iPadOS 13, one of the context menu options, as I mentioned, is show all windows. And so there's this new menu option on the iPad that you don't see on the iPhone, but it's in the same context menu. It's mm-hmm. just that, that that option is there because you can do that on the iPad because there's multiple windows. And so, you know, it would work from everywhere. It would work in this context menu that exists on iPhone and iPad. So it's not too confusing. It's not like learning a new thing for people. And then it would even work for multi-window. So if, for example, you have notes on screen and you want to add a second notes window, you could long press on the notes app icon and it would give you the option pair with notes. And you would know, okay, it's going to add a new notes window to what I'm currently viewing. So some potential uh, problems, maybe, I I wouldn't call them problems, but just things that have to be considered if, if Apple took this approach is that they really would need to remove the ability to drag and drop app icons altogether where you just, you know, long press it and then move it away. So for example, lots of people are used to moving um, app icons on the home screen or in their dock, rearranging them by simply picking up the app icon and moving it away and rearranging apps that way. They added the option in the context menu last year to rearrange apps. I think that Apple would need to make that the only option so that if users are going to rearrange their apps, they need to open the context menu first and then hit rearrange apps. Um, I think people get used to this, especially if you know Apple provides some, some UI element the first time, you know, a pop-up that's kind of saying, oh, this is what's changed. Um, but the nice thing about this is if Apple made that change, then whenever you long press an app icon, the context menu can stay on screen until you dismiss it. Right now, if you long press, then the context menu will pop up. But if you keep holding for another second, then it goes away and you enter into you know jiggle mode for rearranging apps, mm-hmm. which is a bit confusing. Um, if they got rid of that option and made you use the rearrange apps button in the context menu, then the context menu can stay on screen. So you don't have to deal with, oh, Mm. I'm going to long press, but I don't want to long press too long. Right. And then... Which would also mean that the long press menu uh, becomes easier and faster to activate because it's the only uh, result of a long press. Like you long press and you see the menu. Exactly. And there's no confusion surrounding, oh, but if you keep long pressing or if a long press is not long enough, like... That's it. You long press, you get the menu, and there's no other potent- potential scenario. Right. And mm. you know, one other potential drawback is, I think for people like you and I who already know the current system and are so used to it, 
There is the potential that this context menu system might be a little bit slower in some cases, but I think it would be a very, very tiny bit slower if it is at all. And honestly, I, I consider that a really good trade-off when you consider that I think a context menu system would open up multitasking to way more iPad users, make it way more accessible, way more intuitive. And so if it's a tiny bit slower, then that's okay because you're talking about you know a large percentage of iPad users being able to do it versus a very, very small you know percentage mm -hmm. of you and I and some other people. So mm -hmm. um, okay, so that's a lot of information. <laughs> uh -huh. Federico, what do you think? So I really like this um, because it it addresses um, what I believe are the four main issues with the current multitasking system. I do believe that um, it could be problematic for advanced users and and the freedom, the, the versatility that we've grown used to like in terms of yeah, I know how to pick up an icon and drop it to you know either side of the screen and. And, you know, I know all the differences between split view and slide over. And, you know, I know how I can open an, an icon as a full screen window if I want to, right? Um, so I do think that this system would lose some of that flexibility of like, yeah, you pick up a single icon and then depending on where you drop it, you got a potential, you know, you got different results, which is great for power users, not great for everybody else, though. So. Uh, I think it's a, it's a trade-off, right? And it's a balance. And I think I personally could imagine a scenario where it's all about context menus and it's all about, you know, this is the kind of clarity that John Gruber was wishing for in his article of like, he mentioned something along the lines of when you right-click on the Mac, you always get a right-click contextual menu. And now if the long press should be considered the equivalent of a right-click um, on, on iPad, the long press does not have a same single consistent result. It could lead to potentially two different or maybe more scenarios. So I do believe that making it all about context menus could introduce the same clarity that you get on the Mac, where a right click is always a context menu. Uh, so that, that would be really nice. Um, I do want to go over this four list of, of main issues that I put together uh, regarding the current multitasking system and see how your idea could potentially address those. Um, the obvious one, uh, the problem number one would be, you know, the, the, the thing that most people keep talking about, the long press gesture overload. This has been a problem since the days of iOS 11 to an extent. It only got worse in iPadOS 13. Um, there's too many operations, uh, too many actions are associated with the long press gesture on, on iPhone and on iPad especially. Um, you covered all of this in your, in your uh, idea. Um, a, a long press could be a context menu or it could be the, the wiggling mode on the home screen. And it just, you know, the, there's too much confusion surrounding the duration of a long press. And all of that leads to this fine precision that is required in order to make sure that you do exactly what you want to do, whether you want to rearrange an icon or whether you want to bring an icon into, into a multitasking space. Um, fine precision is, in fact, my second problem. So in addition to getting rid of 
these overload of actions for a long press. Um, your idea would also eliminate the second common concern from iPad users who do not like the current system, which is not everyone has the same motor skills or the knowledge to just operate all these different features. It's, uh, we, it's very difficult for me to talk about it because I'm so used to the system and, and I've been able to... I actually talked about this in my iOS and iPadOS 13 review. I and you and people like Mike and John, we have mastered the system. We know how to use it. We know the, the, the differences between split view and slide over and what it means when you're dragging an icon around. But if you think about it, and this is actually uh, included in my... Uh, I mentioned this in my iOS 11 review in 2017, and I brought it up again last September in my iPadOS review. The fine precision that is required for you to differentiate whether you want to drop an icon into split view or into slide over, if you think about it, it all comes down to that thin separator between two apps in a split view or making sure that you drop an icon exactly to the right edge of the screen or to the left edge of the screen. Or again, the fine precision and, and, the, and the, you know, the, the knowledge required to take a look at the window tile that appears when you're dragging an icon and taking a look at the, at the shape of the tile. <laughs> if it's a square, it means it's a split view. If it's a, a smaller rectangle, it may mean that it's also a split view, but also a slide over panel. It's a very, it can be, I, I understand why it can be a complicated system where it comes down to the details. And the details, a lot of people do not necessarily need to know or do not necessarily pay attention to. It is not a immediately intuitive system. It's not something that you can, you know, give to a child and the child can just immediately understand the differences between split view and slide over. And yes, you can make the same argument that, you know, with a context menu, a child would also wouldn't know the differences between split view and slide over. But we're talking about pro users here. We're talking about people who want to work on an iPad. And I think there's always, the, 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 I see a parallel here. It's something that I always bring up in my review. One of my pet peeves when I review an app is when that app uses icons without labels, icons without text labels. Because I can make out, I can use my intuition to make up the, the meaning of an icon. But whenever I see a glyph, and the glyph is not accompanied by a text label. There's always that doubt, that skepticism that, that sneaks its way into my brain of like, wait, am I sure that if I tap this icon, the operation that I expect is going to be performed by this app? There's that confusion, right? Because you see the visual element, but it's not clearly and obviously explained to you. And I think the current system with the window tiles is sort of like that, in that you see the visual element, you see the difference between a tile that is a square and a tile that is a rectangle, but it's, so, the, the, it's not obviously explained to you. There's no message, there's no text, there's no confirmation that says, yes, if you drop this icon here, 
it'll be slide over. Or if you drop it here, it'll be split view. And so with the context menu, you will get rid of that potential confusion by saying, look, it's actually written out in text. <laughs> you can create a split view or you can create a slide over. There's an icon, there's a text label. You can't go wrong with what you choose. So uh, getting rid of that um, fine precision and knowledge required, I think at first it may be slower for power users, but I think eventually it actually becomes faster for everybody else, including us, because it causes no confusion. Like it's written out. It's a command that you see. There's a label. There's an icon. You can go wrong. So that's a really important factor. And problem number three which I mentioned just now, uh, the design of split view and slide over, um, the activation method uh, of these two different modes, uh, I think it needs to change. So this idea that um, depending on how you drop and where you drop, you get either of the two modes. Uh, I think it's always been one of the most confusing aspects of the iOS 11 multitasking system, which eventually grow grew into the iPadOS 13 multitasking UI. Um, there's screenshots in my reviews, if you want to go take a look at them, where I compare these window tiles and the way that they change depending on your drop zone and, and you know, the, the, the side, the, the, the edge of the display. I think that needs to change. I think that needs, more, needs to be more obvious. And what more obvious way than to clarify this confusion than to actually have a menu that tells you drop it to the left, drop it to the right, or make it a slide over floating panel. Um, you mentioned uh, the potential um, loss of being unable to drag icons from the home screen. I do think that uh, adding context menus for multitasking to the home screen and to home screen icons would also be a good idea. It's kind of funny, Ryan, that over these past few days I've seen people um, sort of uh, wish again for something that was uh, that that we discussed uh, years ago. Uh, the idea of having like a mini home screen on one side of a split view as a, as a as a picker for apps. Uh, this was actually part of my iOS 10 concept video from 2016. I want to say so it was four years ago. And in fact, if you go take a look, there was a video, there were mock-ups. I did, in fact, imagine sort of like a, a mini home screen on one side of a split view. Um, I, I don't know what I think about this. I think I like your idea better, Ryan. Like, make it all about context menus. There's only one way to engage with multitasking, and it's a long press, and it's only a long press. And it's faster, and it's easier, and it's labeled, it's obvious, it's clear to everybody, it's legible. I really do like that idea. Finally, my um, the, the problem number four, which you didn't address, but I want to mention this because I think it's super important, um, lack of external keyboard integration. Most people who use an iPad Pro do so with the keyboard. They have likely a smart keyboard from Apple. And currently, and this has been true since the very first iPad Pro, I am pretty sure that this was one of my original complaints in my original review of the iPad Pro in, iPad Pro in 2015. The current system, it is completely shut off from keyboard integration. The only thing you can do with the keyboard is invoke that is slightly related to, um, to multitasking is you can invoke search with command space, and then you can search for an icon, for an app in there, and you can drag the icon into 
multitasking, but that still requires you to complete the final step yourself by reaching out to the screen and touching the screen. You cannot operate split views or slide over um, or the app picker from an external keyboard. You always need to touch the screen. And I think it's time for this to change. There needs to be complete keyboard integration between, um, you know, with, with split view and slide over and search and the multitasking picker and multi-window as well. I do believe that multi-window plays into this. Uh, and we could imagine a scenario where not only are there new context menus for Windows, but also new keyboard shortcuts for Windows, for cycling through Windows, for managing Windows, for opening Expose, for selecting different Windows in Expose. There needs to be better keyboard integration. But that said, uh, so these are my main four problems with the current system. And I think your idea, Ryan, more or less addresses all of these concerns by losing some of that flexibility for power users, but by empowering everybody else, which, if you think about it, tends to be the way that Apple likes to go about these things. You sacrifice some of that complete freedom for power users to create a system that works for everybody else. And I think you're onto something here. Yeah, there's there's certainly lots of you know, small kind of other tweaks that I think could be made. And and I know you have some ideas as well of, of other tweaks that Apple could make to just the general way that multitasking and multi-window works. Like, you know, something that you've mentioned many times is when you're in um, expose viewing multiple windows, you can't see if, uh-huh. you know, those windows are paired with other apps already or not. Like that's something that they could easily fix in another way. Maybe add a little label underneath the windows to say this is paired with this or whatever, or this isn't. Yeah, it it's that's kind of a separate thing as I consider it. There's there's other tweaks that we you know other ideas that we have for ways yeah. to, to make things a little mm-hmm. bit better. But just when it comes to the core concept, the more that I think about it, the more I'm convinced that that context menus would be a really elegant way to make multitasking more accessible to more users while still being highly functional and not losing any of the functionality that we're used to now. And so, you know, I'm working on an article about this. I'm not sure when it's going to go up exactly, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to kind of talk through in even more detail some of the specifics of, you know, for example, what happens if, you know, what happens if you want to add an app to SlideOver and you already have that app open in a split view on screen, well, you know, maybe if you long press the app icon, then you could see a couple options, you know, open current window in slide over or open new window in slide over. Just little things like that that would make sure that you don't lose any of the functionality that's currently there. Um, I think, I don't know, we'll we'll see what listeners think about all this and, mm. uh, and um, you know, just interested to kind of see how the discussion continues in the iPad community mm-hmm. about how these things before, could change. Yeah, before we move on to the next topic, I do want to share some of those additional and unrelated ideas just to, to put them on the record uh, so that, you know, for my for my sanity, <laughs> just <laughs> need to share them. Um, I always wish for this option to exist. I really want to be able to create sort of like um, favorite spaces that instantly recreate or reopen a workspace with a specific set of apps and windows and content like 
Uh, imagine if you could create a workspace that always opens Safari on the Mac Stories homepage and to the right, um, I don't know, uh, notes in a specific folder. So the idea that you can have like uh, templates for apps and for Windows that with a single tap or maybe with a shortcut, I don't know, uh, you would be able to recreate from scratch or if it's already open elsewhere, reopen an existing uh, space. Uh, that would be really lovely. Um, from the app picker, I want to be able to filter my app windows. So when you um, uh, swipe up on the home indicator and you see the app switcher, I would love to be able to filter all my open windows and apps by title. So say that I have multiple IA Writer windows open, I would love to have a search bar in there that lets me filter my IA Writer windows by the name of a document, for example. Or maybe, and again, if you think about the typical workflow of, of somebody who works on an iPad, let's say that you're working on a project and that project may be a video or maybe an essay, maybe something that requires multiple apps and multiple documents. And maybe those apps and those documents, they share a common title. So say that you're working on an essay for school and that title is called Essay Spring 2020, it's very likely that you may have a PDF or maybe a mail message or maybe a note and then you have a pages document. And if you typed Essay 2020 in the, in the app switcher, it would show you all the open windows related to that project. And again, from there, this is something that I always bring up in my reviews. Let me combine windows. Again, using menus, or in this case, I think it would be nicer to use drag and drop because I do believe that drag and drop for content shouldn't go away. It should just go away for app icons. I would love to combine windows from the app switcher with drag and drop. So let me create a split view by putting two apps together, right? Uh, so this idea of being able to filter and search and combine, it would be a powerful addition to multitasking and it would be very tactile, very in line with the idea of direct manipulation, which your idea, Ryan, sort of loses because you're not manipulating an icon and a window anymore. But I think it's for the best in that case. But here in the app switcher, this idea of like literally grabbing a window and dropping it onto another one to create a split view, it would play really well in the context of the iPad's uh, multi-touch UI. Well, and I think too, isn't that something that you can do on the Mac when you have... Oh, yes, you can. Yeah, so <laughs> it, can. It, already, totally can. it already works there. So it's the same thing applied to the iPad. Right. Uh, and, and finally, and again, uh, people make fun of me for, for saying this over and over. I really want to see eventually a shelf, <laughs> a place where I can park things for later whether it's uh, a bit of text or an image, like get rid of this idea that, um, that, that data always needs to live somewhere, needs to be contained, whether it's in the files app or from another app. Sometimes you just want to drag something and you don't know where exactly it should go. Or like maybe you want to drag an image from, an Im from a message and you want to drop it in a Slack thread, but before you drop it, you want to write a text message, wouldn't it be nice to have a place where you can temporarily store that image and then drag it out again? Um, years ago, 
I heard that Apple was playing around with something like this internally for back in the days of iOS 11, actually. I heard that, you know, and yeah, this was three years ago, that they did have some kind of prototypes. And I mean, they always do, so it's not a huge surprise. Uh, and that uh, the, the idea was abandoned back then. Maybe it's time to bring it, bring it back again, you know? Uh, if Especially if, if uh, you know, getting rid of, uh, of drag and drop for icons, but um, if they keep drag and drop for content, I really do think that we could use something like that, where the drag and drop... Sometimes you don't know what your destination is, right? You start dragging something and you don't know exactly where it's going to go. Or there are steps that you need to take before you actually drop an image or a link or some text. And with the shelf, which again, not a new idea. On the Mac, we, we have plenty of shelves, uh, especially, you know, the, the, you know, you look at something like Yoink or you look at something like the DevonThink Clipper on the Mac that's exactly what I'm wishing for here. Just a place where you can drop things and you can later bring them back. Um, so that's my my list of additional ideas. But overall, again, it's all about your primary uh, theory and concept and idea that it should all be about context menus. Get rid of dragging app icons. Again, honestly, uh, at first... I may be annoyed by this change, but I think it's for the best in the long term and especially considering everyone else. All right. Well, we need to talk about your uh, journey of trying out different email apps. Um, Mm. Before we do that, though, let me thank our sponsor. Uh, This episode of Adapt is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Uh, Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. Make snippets for things you or your team type repetitively and then use them everywhere, like in word processors, in email and messaging apps, in online forms. You can customize your snippets with fill-in and pop-up fields even. If you want to learn the ins and outs of TextExpander, you can sign up for one of their free webinars, including one on power user tips with David Sparks that's coming up in February and a support team and productivity co-webinar with Help Scout that's coming in March. Text Expander is perfect for the kinds of tasks that you do over and over again. Uh, with email, for example. Uh, if you find yourself looking back at old emails that you sent so that you can copy and paste what you said then as a template in a new email, which I do a lot, uh, Text Expander is the perfect tool to avoid that hassle. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Adapt listeners get 20% off their first year. Uh, just go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. If you've been meaning to try Text Expander, check it out now. Textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Federico, I challenged you in our last episode to do a survey of email apps, try a variety of different email apps on the iPad so that you could see if there's one perfect one out there, which I'm sure that you didn't find one. Um, And if you couldn't find a perfect one, to at least talk through what are some of the elements that you would want in your ideal email client. So Mm. what do you have to share with us? 
Well, um, my friend Mike Hurley has a, a saying that uh, no email app is good. And I think he has a point, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, email apps are a weird market because there's so many of them. Back in the days of the App Store 10 years ago, it used to be that Apple wouldn't allow third-party email apps and that very famously changed, uh, I think, sometime in 2010 or 2011 with the original Sparrow for, for iPhone. Uh, there was a really lovely uh, Gmail client. And eventually Mailbox and all those other email clients that sort of opened the floodgates for developers to make their own third-party email clients. The problem is that third-party email clients, they, they, they like Twitter clients, they are a design playground. But because of this, developers often come up with their own UIs and, and proprietary features and custom menus and gestures and as such it's it, quite often they do not follow the system recommended design guidelines or modern technologies you know things that i like to have in my in my in the apps that i use in fact i would suggest listening to um the latest episode of app stories which is called the elements of modern iPhone and iPad apps where John and I actually talk about these modern features that we like to see in our uh, in our favorite apps. And so email apps tend to be highly custom, often using proprietary features, not necessarily taking advantage of the latest technologies and APIs. Sometimes for a long time, like Microsoft Outlook was updated just today as we record this with improved support for split view. Like, yeah, that's been around since iOS 11. And Outlook supported split view before, but improvements to split view just came out. And, you know, stuff like Gmail, for example, doesn't even support, you know, uh, I think Gmail now supports split view, but doesn't support multi-window. So it usually takes a long time for email clients to adopt, if ever the latest uh, modern features. Yeah, I, I must say, for the record, Gmail does not support split view. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> It's terrible. So, so there's that. Um, so mm, going through the list of, like, uh, you, you asked me, what's your ideal email client? So, of course, I put together a list of the basics. These are just the basics of things that I want. So modern features, again, dark mode, context menus, keyboard shortcuts, split view, and slide over, multi-window, you know, uh, a modern iPhone and iPad experience. The second one, a customizable sidebar. I use a service called Samebox to automatically file certain messages in different mailboxes, in different folders. Um, and I need to be able, also because I have multiple email accounts in, that I need to manage, not only do I need to be able to mix and match different mailboxes from my personal account, but also from other accounts. And so it's, also, it's very important for me to be able to fully take control of the sidebar, uh, of the, you know, the main list of accounts and mailboxes, and to rearrange them in exactly the order that I want to. And Ryan, you would be surprised how many email clients do not support this basic feature. Like you'd say, well, of course, duh, of course you would be able to have a sidebar that you can customize, but not so fast because not a lot of developers think that's an important feature. Um, saved searches and smart folders. 
this is something that I that I like to use a lot whenever available. Uh, the idea that you can find messages that match specific criteria, but you that you can also save that search for later. So then when new messages come in, they also match the new criteria and you can also find them. One example, maybe you want to have a smart folder that aggregates all of the newsletters that we send from Club Mac Stories so that every week when a newsletter comes out, you can tap on the smart folder and you can see the latest issue. Uh, Apple Mail supports this feature quite elegantly on the Mac, but 10 years later, uh, maybe actually more if you count the iPhone, uh, smart folders and saved searches are still not available on iPhone or iPad. Integration with the share sheet is another. I want to be able to share my email messages with other apps, usually task managers, but maybe I also want to be able to save a, a message as a PDF and save it somewhere else. The idea that I want to be able to process my email messages with apps. So unless, you know, most of the time I would like to use the share sheet, but custom app integrations are also fine. And as we'll see later, um, there's some interesting examples here. Of course, when it comes to attachments, I want to be able to attach from photos and from files. I can't believe that, you know, some email clients still do not support attaching from files. Uh, a clean design, obviously, is important to me. I don't want to have a custom Google thing that looks like an Android app running on my iPhone and iPad, uh, which is why I didn't consider Gmail even before I realized that <laughs> it didn't have multi-window and, and turns out split view. Um, I want something that is consistent with the system that looks like a native experience. I don't want a custom thing that looks like a web app or an Android app running on my device. Red receipts are an interesting, sometimes nice, potentially awkward plus. Uh, this would be the idea that if you send you know, marketing emails or if you communicate with somebody and you want to know whether that person has read your email, um, this is a feature that lets you know you know, by sort of like inserting an invisible tracking pixel in an email and when that message is opened, um, you get a notification. Now, I know that this is sort of like a privacy intrusive uh, feature because the person doesn't know that an email message contains an invisible tracking pixel. I have, I'll confess, I have used it myself in the past when communicating with PR people or, um, you know, after sending a really important email to somebody, and like when planning, for example, the first season of Dialogue with John, and we had really important guests, and we wanted to know whether, whether the manager or the agent for that guest had actually seen our message, I did use Red Receipt, I'll confess. I know that a lot of people don't like him, which is why it's not a must-have feature for me. But if it's there, I don't use it all the time. But sometimes I may flip the toggle and enable it just for that specific message. Um, uh, I don't particularly care about snoozing. Uh, this is the kind of proprietary feature that a lot of uh, email clients support. And it tends to be like, uh, like this uh, workaround that mm, apps like Spark and, and Outlook, for example, implement by moving messages into a, into a mailbox and then later bringing back that message 
I don't particularly care about this because it's a proprietary thing that will not work across different email clients. And really, most of all, I'm, I just save my email messages in reminders anyway. That's where I snooze my messages. I save them in reminders, usually with a deep link that takes me back to the message, which means I can archive the message from my inbox. But later, if I tap on the link or the icon in reminders, it takes me back to that message so I can reply or do something about it. Even if it's in the archive, the deep link will take me back to that message. Proper threading. I mean, obviously, I want to be able to clearly see the flow of a conversation. I don't want none of that quoted reply business. Like, you know, when you see a conversation and you don't see the actual individual messages, but you see like quoted text in different colors. Like, I never want to see that. I want to see each reply as its own message that I can tap to expand, that I can see it like, how it actually went. I never want to see syntax highlighted plain text, please. That's terrible. Um, ideally, and I know, I realize that this list is getting long, uh, but I will explain in a few minutes. Um, ideally, I want to be able to customize notifications on a per account or, and this will be the, uh, you know, the real perfect scenario, on a per mailbox basis, but I can live with customizable notifications for each account which means send me a notification if I get an email to my personal account. Do not notify me when we receive emails at the, the tips account that we have, for example, for Mac stories where developers and you know, uh, PR people can send us uh, pitches for apps and new services. Um, speaking of customizable stuff, customizable actions for messages and or notifications. I want to be able to choose whether a notification for an email message should contain buttons to archive or delete, or maybe both, and the same is true for messages in the inbox. Let me choose the actions, let me choose what happens when I swipe right or when I swipe left, let me modify the default behavior, put me in control. Final two, Ryan, I promise. Uh, give me choice in terms of what happens when I tap on a link in an email message. I want to be able to choose whether that link should open in Safari or in Safari View Controller inside the app. And not every email client supports this. And finally, if we were to consider the ideal email client for Teams, so for a small team like Mac Stories, for example, it is really important for me to have two features, sharing, so being able to share a message with somebody else, and templates, so that, you know, two people working together like Sylvia and I, for example, for Mac Stories Pixel, we can share a template with a canned response that we need to send to somebody who's looking for a specific answer or as a particular problem. So this is my list of like, what are the ideal features of an email client? And you realize now how it is very difficult for me to find some, a product that fits all of these requirements, that checks all the boxes. Yeah, and Yet, as I look at your list, I really don't think that, I mean, there's a few things that are like, okay, maybe those are more nice-to-haves rather than, you know, must-haves. But for the most part, lots of this stuff really seems like a no-brainer to some extent for a modern email mm. app. Mm -hmm. You would think so. It's not like that, unfortunately. <laughs> it's not a no-brainer. Um, now, the, 
plot twist, if you will, here, and I, I will spoil this up front, is that Apple Mail in iOS and iPadOS 13 gets a lot of these features right. <laughs> Apple Mail of all apps is in many ways the best option for me because it supports dark mode, supports really well multi-window and context menus, both on the iPhone and the iPad, as native drag and drop that works beautifully with reminders in that you can drag and drop a message into reminders and it'll save it as a new task containing a deep link back to that specific message. It has a fully customizable sidebar that lets you mix and match folders from different accounts. So I have a custom sidebar that contains a list of folders from all of the different accounts that I have in Apple Mail. As a solid selection of keyboard shortcuts, which in the year 2020, five years after the iPad Pro, some apps still do not support. And speaking of the iPad Pro, Apple Mail, like Notes, has a really solid and well-implemented three-column layout that takes advantage of the iPad Pro's display in landscape mode so I can see my list of mailboxes, my inbox, and a message as three columns all at once. But Mail also has issues, which is what made this challenge fun for me. Uh, doesn't have smart folders or saved searches, as I mentioned before. The search feature is not leaves a lot to be desired in that it's it's not really fast and you know often takes a few seconds, several seconds to find results for me. Has no integration with online services, so things like um, looking up profile pictures on online databases like LinkedIn and that kind of stuff, it's not supported in Apple Mail. And so you don't even see additional contact information for people, which is something that a lot of modern email clients do. Um, and there's no support for an in-app browser. So no Safari View controller in Apple Mail. Now, you asked me to survey the current state of email clients uh, for iPad. And I didn't want to talk about the usual suspects, which is I didn't want to talk about Airmail and Gmail and all these different apps that we've talked about years ago and before on Connected, on App Stories, on Mac Stories. So I wanted to have a compact list of three different apps. First one, and I was actually surprised by this one, really, Canary Mail. So Canary Mail is a multi-platform client uh, for iPhone, iPad, and Mac. And I will, for all of these clients, I will talk about the nice features first, and then I will talk about my issues. Um, as a true dark mode, or email content, this is something that is unique to this, to this app. Uh, when you enable dark mode, so it follows the system appearance, and when you enable dark mode, Canary Mail tries to apply dark mode even to messages that do not originally support dark mode. For example, newsletters. We use MailChimp for our, for our newsletters, and MailChimp, to this day, still does not offer an automatic dark mode for emails, which means that when we send Mac Stories Weekly, and if you have dark mode enabled on your device, MacStories Weekly, the body message, it'll still have a white background because we still do not have a way in MailChimp to say, follow the system dark mode. But Canary Mail tries to force it anyway. And so it always uses a dark background, even for messages that do not officially support it. And you can try this with MacStories Weekly in Canary Mail. 
It looks mostly fine. It changes some of the colors. It's sort of like a smart invert, but it's not really a smart invert in that it keeps the original images. Um, it just changes the background color and some of the um, other colors, like the color of links, for example. It, it's really interesting and it's really fine. It's really Interesting approach, I would say. Um, Canary Mail as support for snooze. So again, it's a custom proprietary feature. Red receipts and customizable message actions. So that's nice. You can decide what you want to see in the toolbar, what you want to see when you swipe on a message. It is one of the few clients to fully support encryption and sending secure messages with PGP keys. Now, I don't do this, but I know that it's an important feature for a lot of people. And so if you want to send encrypted email with um, support for uh, the open PGP system, you can do so with Canary Mail. Um, it has templates. It has context menus in, in both on the iPhone and iPad. So that's nice. And you can even share emails to the reminders extension. So Canary Mail supports the share sheet. And if you share a message with the share sheet and you select the reminders extension, somehow, I don't know how, but the message will be saved as a new reminder with the Canary Mail icon that serves as a deep link to that message. So that's very nice. It's not something that I thought was possible for developers, but somehow the share sheet in Canary Mail captures the deep link and puts a Canary Mail icon in there in the reminder so you can tap it and go back to the message. Um, Canary Mail as, a, as an in-app purchase-based business model so you, can, you need to pay for Pro if you want to unlock uh, all the features. Some of them I've already covered in this list, but I will also mention the Pro version includes uh, profile pictures for contacts, uh, a calendar integration so you can see the calendar uh, inside of Canary Mail. You can have favorite contacts, so you can mark a specific contact as a favorite, and then in the inbox you can filter uh, messages coming from all contacts, which is the default view, or just from your favorites. You can pin emails to the top of your inbox, sort of like a, like a mini to-do system. And you can have composed suggestions, which means the it's like an in-app built-in AI that will suggest what, how to respond. I haven't used this feature because I, I, I don't like the idea. Like, I want to write my messages myself. And just in general, I would say that Canary Mail looks like it has a very, a very native design. It uses the large title and San Francisco as a font. It looks like a modified version of Apple Mail. It looks really, really nice. But it's got issues, Ryan. Uh, it does not support, and this is a new uh, a feature that I should actually have included in my main list. In iOS 13 and iPadOS 13, there's a new feature where you can select multiple items at once, so like notes in Apple Notes or messages in Apple Mail, you can select multiple message, multiple items by swiping on them with two fingers. And this new two-finger selection mode is not supported in Canary Mail, which really slows me down because I've grown so used to it. Does not support multi-window, which I could live with, but surprisingly, Canary Mail does not support keyboard shortcuts on iPad at all. If you hold down the command key, to show this list of supported commands, nothing comes up, which is really surprising. And I also don't like the way that it minimizes drafts. So when you're writing an email message, uh, if you want to minimize the draft, it doesn't actually 
show you where it's going, Canary Mail minimizes drafts into the Compose button so that when you hit the Compose button later, you can see that there's a minimized draft in there. And I don't like that. I prefer the way that Spark or Apple Mail actually show you a minimized draft in the UI. So Canary Mail, I was really surprised because I was not expecting this app to be this native or this clean and well-designed, but I cannot use it for a bunch of problems and really it's not a good iPad experience. And also it does not, and this was my main issue, it does not support a customizable sidebar. You cannot rearrange uh, the mailboxes and accounts anywhere you like and it doesn't have a three-pane iPad layout. So because of the limitations with the iPad experience, and the selection mode, I cannot use this one. This is a really interesting looking app, though. I I don't know yeah. that I'd ever heard of it. Um, or if I did, maybe mm-hmm. I just heard of the Mac version. And so I downloaded it while you were talking. And it it is really nice looking. It, it does look really native. It uses, it uh, looks like SF symbols for lots of the glyphs. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, that's nice. That's too bad that it's missing some of those, some of those good features. Um, looking at the release notes, it, Looks like just a few months ago, it received a big update, which kind of made it, you know, the modern version that it is today. And so maybe they're going to iterate on that and add some of those things that are missing, but a lot of potential here. Yeah, there's a lot of potential. And I mean, it looks really nice. And the the, the conversation view inside of a of an email message is also very nice. Uh, SF symbols everywhere. Uh, again, they need to have a better iPad experience. And if they ever do that, I will consider it again. But there also needs to be a fully customizable sidebar. But yeah, this was my I say this was my surprise of this challenge. Like Canary Mail, really solid experience, also really beautiful icon, and they also have a Mac version. So definitely check that out. I believe there's a 14-day free trial, and then you can decide whether you want to pay for Pro or not. And again, do not oversleep. If this is important to you, do not uh, sleep on the on the PGP. Uh, key support for encryption. That's I know that some people really care about that stuff. Um, second in my list, Microsoft Outlook. A lot of people praise Outlook as a really well-designed experience on Apple platforms, uh, specifically on the iPhone and iPad. It is a clean-designed Microsoft app. It doesn't have the craft and the and the you know the the baggage of something like Word or uh, OneNote, for example. Uh, Outlook is heavy on, I mean, as the name suggests, it's heavy on the calendar integration. It's, uh, really, it's designed for people who have a lot of meetings, <laughs> a lot of, uh, calendar appointments going on. And it, um, like most of the modern Microsoft stuff, it's also very heavy on the idea of integration with Microsoft services, of course, but also other online services. So like Google Drive and other file storage services. So this idea that like bringing together the Microsoft ecosystem all in one place for folks who are busy individuals with a lot of meetings and a lot of calendar events. Um, What I like about Outlook is that it supports dark mode. So that's nice. Uh, It looks very clean. It has a feature that that I want everyone else to copy. I cannot believe that Outlook is the only email client that I've seen to support this feature. A customizable do not disturb mode for emails with the option to choose from different schedules. So like you can say, do not disturb over the weekend. Otherwise, Monday to Friday, it's fine if you want to send me notifications. 
Saturday and Sunday, I don't want any notification from Outlook. This is the kind of feature that I would love Apple to copy, that I want everyone else to copy. Do not disturb with the schedule that you can control yourself is exactly what I want from my email client so that I can get notifications during the, uh, on, on, on work days and then over the weekend, no notifications. It's a really lovely feature. Um, the search page is, is also another Outlook-specific idea that I really like. Uh, there's a uh, searching Outlook as, a, as its own page, and this page, when you tap on it, when you select it, it shows you like a dashboard of suggestions for contacts and like special messages like upcoming events or packages from Amazon. So like things that are extracted from your email client and suggested to you. And there's also, of course, there's also a built-in calendar and the built-in calendar has multiple views. So you can have a day view, a week view, and a month view. But my list of issues is longer than, <laughs> than the list of pros in Outlook. Um, one of the features of Outlook is the concept of add-ins, so like plugins, to add additional integrations like Trello, for example, or Slack, I believe, um, to Outlook, uh, the email client. However, these plugins are only supported if you have an Outlook or Office 365 account, which I do not. So really powerful integration is locked behind the requirement to be in the Microsoft ecosystem, which I am not. The app does not offer a three-pane iPad layout. Again, why are developers not supporting this? I have no idea. You cannot customize the sidebar. Again, like Canary, you don't have any control over the list of folders and accounts in the sidebar. You can only expand accounts. You cannot actually rearrange or pin specific folders as favorites. Outlook does not support drag and drop at all. If you long press on a message, you will not be able to use drag and drop. Swipe actions in the inbox do not support multiple actions. <laughs> you can only have one action at a time. Whereas in Apple Mail, you can have up to three actions, I believe, or at least two actions. And then depending if you keep swiping, you will get the default one. But yeah, in Outlook, you can only have one action per swipe at a time. No multi-window, which is a bummer. And as I mentioned, it is very, very heavily optimized for people who live in the Microsoft ecosystem. And again, I do not. I, I use Gmail and I use iCloud and I like to mix and match these two services in, in, a, in, email, in an email client that does not lock me into a specific ecosystem. Uh, so yeah, if, you, if you're a Microsoft person, um, you should try this. If you're not, and if you want a modern uh, email client with a really good iPad experience that is highly customizable and that looks like, an, like a native iOS or iPadOS client, you should look elsewhere. Uh, is my suggestion. Finally, Ryan, uh, Spark, of course. Um, Spark is the email client by Riddle. Uh, it can be used as a personal email client, but it's also, especially since uh, you know, the past couple of years, geared for teams. So it's designed for people who collaborate, who share an office or otherwise work remotely, but work together. So, um, teams who want to share email and collaborate on email. Now, Spark, uh, since version 2 came out as a new cleaner design 
that tones down a lot of the uh, custom UIs and menus that Riddle had before, but they're still there. So it's cleaner than before, but it's also it also doesn't look like uh, like Apple Mail or Canary Mail. It doesn't look like a native sort of like default uh, email experience. However, Spark is the most feature-rich email client of the you know all the apps that I've mentioned today. It is along with Apple Mail the only client to support rich text when composing an email. But unlike Apple Mail, Spark does let you add links, hyperlinks, this incredible and amazing technology that was invented like 40 years ago that is still not supported in Apple Mail. But in Spark, if you want to have a hyperlink, if you want to have a word that is also a link, you can actually use a, a button to do so. I know that Ryan has a workaround for adding links, uh, tappable links in Apple Mail, but Spark has, a, has an actual menu to do so, which is much easier. Spark supports multi-window on iPad, which is terrific, supports native dark mode. It does not force content to be dark, like Canary, though. Uh, it's regular dark mode. Has uh, an excellent selection of keyboard shortcuts on iPad as a super rich and really well-designed context menu with a bunch of options, including a new favorite of mine that I also want to see copied in other apps, search emails by this sender. So you can long press on a message and then you can instantly filter the app to show you messages from that sender that were sent to you over time. Really, really nice feature. Um, Smart folders, Ryan. Spark supports a natural language search, which is very nice in that you can easily put together a, a complex search query by using natural language. But then you can also save that search as a folder and that folder can be put in a sidebar, which you can fully customize. You can fully customize the sidebar. You can mix and match uh, accounts, mailboxes, smart folders. You can decide the exact order uh, in which items should be displayed. It's very nice. And in general, Spark is highly customizable. Uh, in the toolbar, you can choose which actions, uh, actions you want to see. You can customize the swipe actions, choosing from multiple options, of course, and you can customize the, uh, customize the sidebar. So really high on the customization stuff. There are issues, of course. Again, I don't know why developers are doing this. No three-pane layout on iPad. Spark supports <laughs> context menus and dark mode and keyboard shortcuts and multi-window. But whenever you tap the sidebar, it takes over <laughs> the screen. Like it, it, you don't have a three-pane layout uh, like Apple Mail. Um, the reminders integration is not perfect. When you save a, an email message as a reminder in the reminders app, it doesn't actually save like with a regular due date. It does something weird with the due date field that basically never works for me because it doesn't actually uh, it doesn't actually save the proper due date parameter for a message. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. Um, sometimes I receive like um, official uh, communications from the government here in Italy, and those messages um, 
they contain additional messages as EML attachments. I don't know why the Italian government does this, but sometimes you receive an official documentation over email that is signed by a government agency and that message contains an additional message as an attachment. And you can tap these EML attachments in Apple Mail and you can preview them. You cannot open EML attachments in Spark. So if you're Italian and you know what I'm talking about here, in Italian we call it the PEC email, that's P-E-C, uh, you cannot open those attachments in, in Spark, which is unfortunate. Um, I mentioned the custom UI that Spark uses. It's better than before, but it can still feel a bit strange. Like the way that deals with menus and pop-ups, it's not as Apple-like as I would like it to be. And of course, you got to keep in mind, I should have mentioned this for Canary and Outlook as well, but it's very much true for Spark. Um, your email will be stored and or processed on an external server, on a cloud server, on a cloud somewhere. So you got to make sure that you always read the privacy policy, always make sure that you're comfortable with what you're signing up for. Of course, I should have said that Spark is my favorite solution. Uh, for sharing emails. Uh, we're going to link to our coverage on Mac stories about this stuff. Uh, but you can share, you can comment, you can delegate, you can sign emails to other people using Spark. We do have a team. We have a free account um, in Spark because we're a small team. Uh, you can you know, you know, can share emails with other people, which is so much better than just forwarding a message to another person the old-fashioned way. But yeah, Spark is the, of, uh, unlike Canary and Outlook, is, uh, is a Nima client that has sharing features. So to sum up, this was a really long conversation, a really long monologue on what I like to see in email, uh, in email clients. There is really no single solution for me, Ryan, at this point. I would say that my ideal email client, the all-in-one email app, does not exist. I probably am going to keep using Apple Mail because it does it's the closest that it gets to what I need. Um, it does not have push notifications, but I'm fine with it because I do not need push notifications for my email. I am using Spark at the moment for sharing, especially with Sylvia and Max, sorry, Pixel, uh, to be able to access and, and, and share messages with one another. Um, I could use... So if I were to choose, like... If I were not to use Apple Mail anymore, I would go with Spark at the moment, even for personal use. Uh, the UI is not perfect, but it's cleaner. It doesn't have a three-pane iPad layout, but it's got everything else, including smart folders and context menus. So I'm sticking with Mail, but if I were to choose between the current crop of third-party email clients, I would go with Spark for personal use as well. But again, Apple Mail does everything I need, and I think as soon as Apple supports smart folders and saved searches, my wish list for mail is basically done. Like, that's the only big missing feature that I'm disappointed that Apple still doesn't support on iPhone and iPad. But otherwise, if you haven't looked in a while, and if you're fine with the privacy policy, I would say consider Canary and Spark uh, both are really solid email clients. They, especially Spark, it's the closest that it gets uh, of all the third-party options to my list of ideal features. So uh, this was a really long explanation, Ryan, for 
what to you may have seemed like a relatively easy challenge, but for me, when you bring up the topic of email clients, it's an adventure. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for sharing all that information. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of good. I'm glad that you did as well go with some apps that maybe people aren't as familiar with, at least based mm-hmm. on you know following you over the years of apps that you've covered before. Um, Canary, like I said, is brand new to me. So that's really interesting. I'm going to spend some time using it. Um, but I, I can actually have a similar setup to you right now where Apple Mail is my primary email client. I do also use Spark primarily for the sharing features and the team features, which are fantastic. I, I'm surprised that more email apps mm-hmm. haven't added similar functionality because it works really well if you're on a team. But outside of that, Apple Mail meets my needs. And, and I use an iCloud account, and so I actually do get push notifications, which is nice. Uh, nice. I'm, not, I'm not sure why that's not available on Gmail. But anyways, yeah, lots, lots of good information. I've got links to the apps in the show notes, so our listeners can check those out. But, uh, but thank you. Um, I, I guess before we wrap up, uh, you should give me a challenge for next time. I do have a challenge for you, Ryan. So uh, this is a common question that I get on Twitter and from Club Max Stories members quite often. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see where you go with this and if you f- actually do find the solution. I think it's going to be tricky. Um, I want you to either find somewhere on the internet or create yourself a really, and when I say really, imagine italic really, a really large txt or pdf document actually both of them so find or create really large plain text and pdf documents and try to open them or edit them if you can on an ipad so i want you to find apps ipad apps that can open and edit really long really heavy documents. And when I say really large, I mean multiple, multiple megabytes, like uh, hundreds of megabytes, if possible. Hundreds of megabytes for a TXT file? Mm -hmm. Is that Mm -hmm. possible? (laughs) Do those exist? You can, you can, I, you will be surprised. Oh boy. How many apps choke on a 20 megabyte plain text document? I didn't know there were 20 megabyte plain text documents, so. Well, it's possible, like, imagine that you're, like, a, I don't know, exporting a database, mm-hmm, right? Right. And the easiest way for you to, to grab something in a database, to, 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 to find something in, a data, in, in that text or to run a regular expression in that text is to force the output into a plain text document, right? On the Mac, you will use something like BBEdit uh, and regular expressions to grab through the list of results. And, and find exactly what you're looking for. So normally, of course, you wouldn't write something that generates a 20 megabyte plain text document. But sometimes you do come across that kind of file. And honestly, I would not be surprised if most apps for iPhone and iPad even choke, uh, choked on a, on a 5 megabyte plain text file because they do not expect that. They do not expect a plain text document to be that heavy right? They would expect a TXC document to be like 20 kilobytes, right? Um, so I know that a lot of people ask me something like, hey, I usually, uh, like when, whenever I need to open really large documents, I have BB edit on the Mac, but what if I want to do the same on the iPad? 
and I want you to try and find a solution to this. All right, I will. I will put all the apps to the test and see what mm-hmm. happens. All right. Okay, this has been episode eighteen of Adapt. I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Text Expander from Smile. If you'd like to find show notes for today, you can open the podcast app you're listening in right now or go to relay.fm slash adapt slash 18. If you want to follow us online, Federico's on Instagram and Twitter is at Vitici. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find me on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N-T-L-D-R. And you'll find both of us writing, of course, at maxstories.net. Till next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye.